0: Chapter 1 of Boston and Blackie by Jack Boyle This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Boston Blackie Boston Blackie in the archives of a hundred detective bureaus the name invariably followed by a question mark was penciled after the records of unsolved safe robberies of unequaled daring and skill The constantly recurring interrogation point was proof of the uncanny shrewdness and prevision of a crook who pitted his wits against those of organized society and gambled his all on the result of the game he played. For it was in the spirit of a man playing a vitally engrossing game against incalculable odds that Boston Blackie lived the life of crookdom. The question mark meant that the police suspected his guilt, even though they knew it, but had no proof. The name Boston Blackie was an anathema at the annual convention of police chiefs. The continually growing list of exploits attributed to him left them raging impotently at his incomparable audacity. He neither looked, worked, nor lived as experience taught them a crook should. Traps innumerable had been laid for him without result always, it seemed, an intuitive foreknowledge of what the police would do guided him to safety. In short, Boston Blackie, Safecracker Deluxe, was the great enigma of the harried, savagely incensed guardians of property rights. Though detectives never guessed it, the secret of Boston Blackie's invulnerability lay in his mental attitude toward the law and those paid to uphold it. In his own mind he was not a criminal but a combatant he had declared war upon society and if defeated was ready to pay the penalty it inflicted undefeated he felt the world could not hold a grudge against him the laws of the statute books he discarded as mere scraps of paper he saw himself not as a lawbreaker but as a law upholder for he lived under the rigid mandates of a crook world code that he held more sacred than life itself. A guilty conscience proves the downfall of most prison inmates. Blackie, his conscience clear, played the game winningly with the zest of a schoolboy and the joy of a gambler confidently risking great stakes. Boston Blackie was no roistering cabaret habitué, squandering the proceeds of his exploits and night-life dissipation. University trained, and with a natural predilection for good literature, his pleasures were those of a gentleman of independent means, with a mental trend toward the humanitarian problems of the day. His home was his place of recreation, and in that home, sharing joyously the perils and pleasures of his strangely ordered life, was Mary, his wife. Boston Blackie's Mary, to the quick world that looked up to them with unfeigned adulation as the chief exponents of its queerly warped creed. Mary was Boston Blackie's best-loved pal and sole confidant. She alone knew all he did and why, and, knowing, she joined in his exploits with the wholeheartedness of unquestioning love. Together they played, together they worked, and always they were happy in good fortune or evil. A strange couple so unusual in thought and life and habit, that detectives, judging them by other crooks, were forever at sea. Seated in their cozy apartment in San Francisco, which for the time was their home, Blackie suddenly dropped the current volume on mysticism which he had been reading, and looked across the room to Mary, busy with an intricate piece of embroidery. "'We need a bit of excitement, Mary,' he said with the unconcerned air of a husband about to suggest an evening at the theatre. "'We'll take the Wilmerding Jewel Collection tonight." "'I'll drive your car myself, if you're going out there,' she answered, with the faintest trace of womanly anxiety in her voice. "'Well, then, that's settled.' Boston Blackie resumed his reading, and Mary her embroidery. End of Chapter 1